0: Amy Carter was five years old when her father was elected President of the United States. Consequently, she had access to resources that most elementary students do not. When she was in the fourth grade, she was struggling with an assignment, and the topic was the Industrial Revolution. So she asked her mom for help. Well, her mother, First Lady, Rosalind Carter, read the assignment, read the question and she found it confusing too. So she took the initiative, she picked up the phone and she called an aide who worked at the Labor Department. The aide said we'll look into it and hung up. That was Friday afternoon. Sunday afternoon a large box truck pulled up in front of the White House Filled with reams and reams of paper and research. See, the Labor Department assumed that this request was coming directly from the president. And they had assigned a team to work all night and all day, all weekend, for 48 hours to complete this assignment and get this research to the White House. Well, Rosalind Carter was horrified <laughs> at the thought of how much effort and how much expense had been put out on this fourth grade paper. (laughs) But what could be done? (laughs) So she took the summary of the report, of the research, and read through it with her daughter, and her daughter made good use of it. She turned in her paper, but this time the story ends with Amy got a C plus on her paper. Now, I don't know that's a lesson on the quality of government work, but <laughs> <laughs> I can say that. I used to be a government worker, okay? <laughs> For all fairness. Well, I think all of us, at one time or another, we start to envy people like Amy Carter. I mean, what would it be like to just call your pop president or your grandmother queen? Or maybe just call in a favor to your cousin who just happens to be the governor. (laughs) Disclaimer, is a very distant cousin. (laughs) Never actually met him. We've emailed a couple of times. I think a lot of us have this idea that if only I had blue blood. If only I had been born with a silver spoon in my mouth. Life would be easier. Boy, have I got news for you? Christ is in you, and you are in Christ. You have access to wisdom and resources that Washington doesn't even know about. From the heavenly perspective, when God looks down upon you, he doesn't just see a human being, He sees a temple of the Holy Spirit, in whom God dwells, through whom God speaks. Ephesians 2 tells us that God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places. You have a seat in the heavenly places. Now, you you may not be able to get a seat on the Supreme Court, you may not even be able to get a seat to the Super Bowl here in a couple of weeks. But you have a seat with Christ in the heavenly places. The scriptures go so far as to say that you even smell like Christ. The aroma of Christ to God. You have the fragrance of Christ. When you go in to get a haircut, you fill that room With the fragrance of Christ. You change the atmosphere. When you go in to get a manicure, the fragrance of Christ follows you into that room. So, no more of this, if only I had blue blood. If only I was born with a a silver spoon in my mouth. You have Christ in you. And you have clout. You have so much clout that the scriptures say that the prayer of a righteous is powerful and effective. And for the greatest example of this, you can look at the life of Elijah. As we turn into chapter 15 in our story, Bibles, uh, it is the topic of the greatest messengers, God's messengers, to Israel and Judah. And we're going to look specifically at Elijah because, well, Elijah lived about eight centuries before Jesus was born, and Elijah is considered the greatest prophet. He's considered the greatest prophet because of the numerous and powerful miracles that God performed throughout his lifetime. Like our first reading today, uh, the never-ending supply of flour and oil to the widow and her family. But he lived in a very dark time in Israel's history. Just for a little bit of context. Ahab was now the king of Israel. That's the northern kingdom, if you remember. And he reigned in Samaria. That was their capital city. Jerusalem's in the south. Uh, 22 years. Ahab did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. Listen to this. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam... Remember him from last week? He was bad. For Ahab, that was nothing. He married Jezebel, and he began to serve Baal and worship him. These were dark times. These were as dark as any days that we'll ever read about in ancient Israel. Hope had left town. Optimism got on a train and gone. The hearts of the leaders were dark. The hearts of the people were cold. But on the darkest of nights, a comet will shine the brightest. And so out of the sky, God sent this comet named Elijah. And Elijah goes to King Ahab, and he gives him an unsolicited uh, weather forecast. And Elijah tells the king, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain for the next few years except at my word. Now, Elijah's attack is calculated. It's calibrated. You see, Baal was the fertility god of the pagans. It was to whom they looked to for rain and fertile fields. And so he's saying, hey, look at this. Pay attention. I'm going to show you who's really in charge of the weather. Now, how did he know That it was not going to rain for three and a half years. How did he know that there was about to be a drought in Israel? Well, it's simple. He prayed. This is a perfect example of how a prayer uh, of a righteous person is powerful and effective. As a matter of fact, the following verses in James, that verse, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, and he follows it right up. Here's the best example Elijah. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. James was so blown away that this ordinary person, just like me and you, could pray such a powerful prayer. And Elijah's prayer was not answered because of its eloquence, but because of its earnestness. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again, he prayed, and then the skies opened up, and of course it it rained again. Well, King Ahab is not... Convinced yet between the power of Yahweh versus Baal, and so he summons all of the prophets of Baal, and he's going to say, "We'll see about this. We'll we'll get my prophets to make it rain." But Elijah goes before the people. He says, "How long will you waver between two opinions? Hey, if the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, follow Him." And this word "waver" later in the chapter is also translated "dance." So Elijah tells him, "How long are you going to keep this dance up?" One day you're with Yahweh, the next day you're with Baal. Pick one here, and whichever one it is, fine, but the real one, please. So Elijah has a challenge, proposition to the prophets of Baal. He tells them, you go get a bull, I'll go get a bull. You build an altar, I'll build an altar. You call down fire from your God, I will call down fire from my God. Whoever answers with fire is the true God. The prophets of Baal accept the challenge and they go first. And they start off in the morning and they're doing their rituals and they're chanting and they're praying and they're dancing and they're marching around the altar and nothing happens. This goes on for a very long time. As a matter of fact, at noon, Elijah starts to taunt the prophets of Baal. This is, I love the gusto here right he goes surely he is God hey shout louder perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling I'm gonna tell you something I didn't tell the other service the Hebrew word there for deep in thought so maybe he's on the toilet (laughs) that's what he that's what he taunted him with maybe he's on vacation maybe he's sleeping he needs to be awakened so shout louder slash themselves Midday passed, they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response. So Elijah asked for his turn. Elijah said to the people, come here to me. And they all came to him. And then he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. And then he he poured water over the altar four times, a trench around it a a moat of all water, no tricks here, no tricks. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things according to your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again look how God responded. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice. It burned up the wood. It burned up the stone. It burned up the soil. It even licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate. They said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. One bold prayer. And look at the power that is unleashed from heaven. Powerful and effective. God delighted to hear the prayer of Elijah, that bold prayer. He delighted in it. I'm so happy to tell you, God delights in your prayers too. Will you stand on this promise? that you are never without hope because you are never without prayer. You are never without hope because you're never without prayer. Another translation of that verse in James is when a believing person prays, great things happen. Someone listening to my voice right now here online feels like they have no hope like you're at the end of your rope. You're out of options. There's nowhere else to turn. You run out of patience. Your life is marked with despair and discouragement. You feel like there's no hope. But there is. You're never without hope. Because you're never without prayer. God invites you. He enlists you. He even commands you to pray and he promises to listen now why would God listen to me I I can't even get the customer service people with credit card coming to call me back Why why do I have God's attention your prayers matter to God because you matter to God when you came to faith wherever that was, through the word, through the water in the word, as a child, as an adult, you received this great gift of faith. And it was faith in Jesus Christ, whose sacrifice paid for, cleanses us from all of our sins. All of your sins are forgiven. But more than that happened on that day. Yes, you were given that great gift of faith, but you were also at that same time given authority, you were given an assignment you were given authority for the present and an assignment for the future you were given the authority right now as in whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven whatever you loose on earth will be freed in heaven jesus told us if you say that mountain be moved it'll be moved and cast into the sea and you have this authority on this earth right now to prepare you for the coming heavenly assignment. You see, between uh, now and the time that Jesus returns from heaven or takes us to heaven, uh, we are on-the-job training for our future assignment. Now, let me say this. If, If your only view of life is from birth to the grave, then a lot of what happens in life doesn't make any sense at all. But if you have and believe by faith that the next part of life is the best part of life, that this part of life is just a tiny fraction of the eternal life that God has given us in Jesus Christ, well, then some of the things in this world start to make a little bit of sense. Because what you are going through right now is preparing you for that future heavenly assignment. Now, some of you look like I'm making this up. We'll a couple of verses here in 2 Timothy. If we endure, we will also reign with him. In Revelations, we're sure that we will reign on earth. You will reign in the new earth. You have a seat in heavenly places with Christ. You will have an assignment. There's going to be work to do in heaven. It's not floating around on clouds and playing harps, whatever weird stuff that is. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be fun. And the work that we do will be fulfilling and joyful. What will your assignment be? I don't know. Don't know exactly. But I absolutely believe that just as before sin in the Garden of Eden Adam and Eve had work to do to tend to the garden, to care for God's creation. In the new Garden of Eden, the new heavens and the new earth, God will have joyous, fulfilling work for us to do. And what we are doing now, what you are going through, is preparing you for whatever that new assignment is going to be. And one of the things that God uses to prepare us for that future assignment is prayer. Talking to God. Sharing your fears and your hurts with God. Making requests to God. Taking note when God says yes. Taking note when God says no. Wondering why God says yes. Wondering why God says no. Prayer is so much more and just asking God to find you a parking space. Prayer is access to the creator of the universe. It is a high privilege and it unleashes heavenly power down upon this earth into our lives and the lives of our family and friends. So, this January, I have been your pastor for seven years. Seven years here in Arizona, seven years at Desert Foothills. If I have any credibility with you, I will cash it all in on this statement. As a church, we can fail at a lot of things. But if we fail at prayer, we fail at everything. We may stumble when it comes to strategy. We may fumble when it comes to facilities. (laughs) But if we fail at prayer, we forget our place and we forget our Heavenly Father. Let us be a people of prayer. A people who see prayer as the first step. I heard about a church meeting. I'm not saying I was ever there. I heard about a church meeting. The elders were... Trying to discuss, trying to make a decision. It's very complicated, very maybe argumentative. And finally one of them said, well, maybe we should pray about it. And another one said, has it come to that? <laughs> well, too often we see prayer as a last resort. We want to be people who see prayer as the first step and the high privilege of speaking to our Creator and our Savior and our Lord. And remember this, you're never without hope because you're never without prayer. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand up and then we'll have our prayer in our closing. Heavenly Father, we do take advantage of this great honor, this privilege that you've granted to us right now, each and every one of us, to come to your throne, the, the, the seat of all power in the universe, and to be able to just address you. Lord, the angels, you say, even look upon us with awe because we are, we are known as your children, children of God. And then when we raise our hand and we make a request, the angels go silent and they give us preeminence and priority. Lord, we come to you with everything that is on our hearts today. The troubles, the worries, the fears, the uncertainty, the hurts, the sicknesses, the diseases. Lord, the turmoil in relationships. Lord, we lay it all at your feet. We pray for your powerful, miraculous healing, body, mind, and soul for us and for all people, that you strengthen our faith in Jesus Christ each and every day, and we realize that all the trials we go through are preparing us for a very glorious, and a very amazing assignment that you have for us in the world to come. Until that day, Lord, when you return, uh, we offer all our praise and worship and glory to you,